Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. The third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation opens in Beijing. It caps off celebrations for 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. High quality cooperation is being emphasized. Today, we are going to put a focus on that. BRI creates a great platform for huge potential in trade, but the synergy it could create between trade and green, trade and digitalization is enormous. So first, excerpt on my interview with Ambassador Jose Valencia, WTO Chair of the Committee of Trade and Environment, on how to work on trade and climate change issues together. Ms. Ambassador, what a pleasure to see you. Good to see you too again. Yes, to reconnect after Geneva, the public forum. How do you see the two major concerns regarding the relationship between trade policy and the environment? Uh, in my opinion, uh, the World Trade Organization was created in a very specific context, economic context, world context. And, and now that we have a new challenges as a global community, we need to be also ready to give a step ahead of us and assume the new challenges at the new context that we have uh, in front of us. I mean, meaning, years ago, two decades ago, uh, we still did not, did not have enough, uh, I wouldn't say, support by the consciousness about the importance and the dramatic impact of climate change. Now, the, the situation is different. We appreciate what is going on in terms of climate effects uh, coming from the climate variation. And uh, I believe from every aspect of international relations, we have to give an answer, give a support, do something about it. So in other words, from the World Trade Organization perspective, those uh, uh, conversations have to, to, to start and, and, and uh, take into consideration and try to solve those uh, issues that you, you mentioned, that uh, somehow the trade tools that are just tools for exchanging goods and services, to put it in very you know, general terms, those tools are not used against something that is very much sick about from the international community. On, I believe that on the contrary, trade tools have to be used, they have to be useful in order to foster cooperation, to protect the environment, and to advance environmental goals of the whole international agenda. At this point, I understand from business perspective, there are lack of regulations and clear laws regarding how green practices will be encouraged and recognized. And therefore, that is hindering investment by private sector, for example, to invest with uh, uh, green technologies and also to bring green elements into their businesses worldwide. So there are increasing call for clarity. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, you are sitting in this important chair. What do you make of the call from the business community? Well, something that I can really witness uh, from my my. My, my seat as a, a chairperson of the committee is clearly that the, much of the times the business is ahead of are ahead of of uh, governments or uh, regulators because it's not just a matter of having more initiative but because I see that technology and the implementation of technological uh, decisions uh, with regard to environment are more and more present and that, are present not because uh, the, the, the businesses want to expand their operations, they do want to do so, but because there is a necessity to do it. I mean, I'm not going to go into details, but there are countries that are 
rapidly evolving from a clean energy, uh, from a fossil energy matrix to a clean energy matrix. And they are doing that year after year, a very important pace. This is just to mention one case of the whole process of, of Venus and, 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 and green energy and green technology, etc. What I think clearly uh, is that there has to be a more direct connection, involvement of governments with other stakeholders. So in other words, uh, in this specific issue of trade and environment, I believe that uh, a very important uh, way of doing things to explore is to try to reach to other stakeholders and establish a, a conversation that in fact, I believe is going to be very, very productive. I have a couple of examples of that, but I don't want to be, but just concrete what you have asked me about. How would you describe China's contributions and roles in the ongoing discussion, Mr. Ambassador? Well, China is a very active member. As a chairperson of the of the committee, certainly I appreciate the contributions of China in the workings. As a ambassador of a country member, Ecuador. Uh, I have to, to, to say that uh, with China, where, uh, for example, I talked uh, recently about the initiative on, of dialogue on plastic pollution. One of the co-coordinators uh, with Ecuador is, is China. The others are Australia, uh, Morocco, Fiji, and Barbados. So um, we have a very good uh, sense of, of going through the, the right goals and the right objectives. I believe uh, that uh, if every country is going to put as much as, as it can from its side in order to provoke cooperation and cooperative results at the organization, in the end, we all are going to be better off. Mr. Ambassador, the Belt and Road Initiative is certainly have a great impact on connectivity around the world. As you know, the BRI is not China's product, but rather China's initiative and been working with countries and economies who are on board. So tell me more about what do you make as an ambassador coming from a developing country on the impact of a BRI? And what does that mean for trade? As you know, these days it's very much an updated version, not just about infrastructure, physical infrastructure anymore. It's more about digital infrastructure, green infrastructure, sustainability, and people-to-people exchanges. My country, Ecuador, joined the initiative, and uh, we clearly have in mind to the uh, Belt and Road uh, initiative and, and, and programs as a way of connecting to, to other countries. Uh, uh, my country, Ecuador, is... Uh, has the, the projection to the uh, Pacific as one of their its uh, main goals in terms of foreign policy. We want to reach countries that are in the other side of the ocean, the, the, the biggest ocean t- in the world. So now uh, appreciating this new, um, some sort of uh, update uh, of, the, of the initiative incorporating green and uh, digital uh, consideration as well, uh, I think they, they are welcome. They are both environment and digitalization are part of the modern world. We've seen the importance of environment. We've been, we've been uh, talking uh, uh, minutes ago about uh, how uh, the WTO uh, environment is uh, somehow one of the main issues uh, to be discussed. So uh, why not? Uh, having the same uh, approach at the Bell and Road, I believe, will enrich 
the opportunities of cooperation that the initiative will uh, help uh, in order to, to foster among states the, uh, uh, that are members of the initiative a more uh, concrete integration into uh, common benefit progress. Still to come on World Inside, digitalization cooperation is taking place on the platform created by Belt and Road Initiative. Let's hear from the diverse voices about how it can boost the trade and investment if done right. Next. Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines, this is World Inside. Welcome back. This is World Inside with me, Tianwei. Today we're focusing on high quality cooperation of Belt and Road Initiative. Digital cooperation is warmly welcomed on the platform created by Belt and Road Initiative. It is the key for the future. When it is combined with trade, it could bring unprecedented opportunities, especially for the developing countries. How? Let's listen to these diverse voices from a panel I hosted recently in Geneva from WTO Public Forum. Digitalization, let's explain the topic a little bit. Which stage is it happening from your parts of the world? From your industry, what are some of the major trends that you are watching very closely that could contribute to our discussion? I see that um, on the digitalization side, and if you connect it with sustain sustainability, there are three main aspects uh, that are happening right now. One is um, monitoring the impact to the nature. So this is where the digitalization has a very big uh, role to play uh, to see what is the impact of different, well, in my case, farming practices and etc. Second is um, bringing new knowledge to people to implement sustainable practices. So that's where digitalization can spread way more than we can do in one-to-one -one human interactions. And then the third thing is bringing finances or financial incentives uh, to those to, who, who actually want to apply new practices and uh, making this automatic and digi digital. So I think right now, on the well, especially on the sustainability field, we are mainly on the piloting phase of those uh, aspects. But eventually we, we want to move more towards scaling. Just to give you an example, we are working today with 1.4 million hectares of farmers, but there are billions all around the world who are waiting for these solutions. So I think we are doing very well with the innovation part, but uh, we have to do way more on the implementation part. Mm. Good answer, I guess. We are not just going to talk about the challenges. We are going to talk about the solutions. We're going to talk about the actions. That's what we are here for. Nell? So I'm coming from the education landscape and, you know, I, I grew up in poverty myself and I went to school barefoot, but I feel it has gotten a lot harder right now to be a child in rural Kenya. At least when I was growing up, the rivers were not dry. Find out the rivers are dry. We can't even harvest. The last time we had a good harvest was 2019. And so it's getting really worse. And all the people are trying to do, they're like, let's plant more trees. They just want to do all they can about climate change. They're just planting trees. And so it has become extremely hard to be a kid in rural Kenya. And, and so when I think about the digital economy, I think about being able to work remotely for any company in the world without leaving your village. That's what we are coming, we're coming at. And I think it's really cheap. It's really cheap to do that. All you need to do is educate, educate our kids, educate our population, how they can work as software engineers, how they can work as producers, how they can do that from the communities, because you don't have to leave home to make it. Well said, from our own village for the global community. Oh, thank you very much, Ray, and indeed to the global community, and I think I'm following up on that, because as you say, from 
our corners of the world. So my corner of the world is the world, you know, as, as you're an agency of uh, digital technologies. I think it's great to follow on on Robin and Nelly because they already showed what, how digital can be important in different areas from agriculture to education. But of course, to achieve that, we have to have infrastructure in place. Mm. And I think we still, you know, so we just released new numbers of connectivity, which shows that uh, the currently we have 5.4 billion people connected to the internet and, and 2 point, but still 2.6 billion people offline. And behind those numbers is a few also trends. First is that this double digit growth on connectivity that we enjoyed every year during the COVID, really COVID boost, we call it sometimes, is now a bit of a tapering off. So it's still growing, but not mm. at that fast pace. And of course, another thing that's behind that is the, uh, is the disparities in the connectivity. So if we have in the high income countries more than 90% of people connected, in the low income countries less than a third is, you know? And I think that's where, where picking up with what Nelly said, you know, about these opportunities, that's where exactly those opportunities are, that's where also that divide is, you know? And that's how, and this is important to overcome that divide to get that boost. And, and we see that divide with the really sometimes negative consequences. You know, UNESCO recently released a report about education in the context of COVID-19 and remote education and, and demonstrated how actually COVID, you know, de decreased uh, those inequalities in education as well, you know, by half a billion uh, students being excluded from education as the world moved to online education. And of course, then, the, so this is like a basis what we have, but of course, we're now starting to talk about this, what we call still emerging technologies, even though in many ways they emerged, like AI. And there we also see, of course, big disparities as well. You know, we see the good potential to tackle challenges from development, for economic development to climate, but we see disparities. So statistics say, for example, that in terms of economic boost to China's economy, AI could, could, could add around 26% of GDP by 2030 to North America, nearly 15%. But those numbers are much, much very different in other parts of the world. So I think that's, uh, so I think we have digitalization growing and becoming more pervasive, but we have huge disparities that we need to overcome. Right. You talk a lot about the challenges, which I hope you are going to provide some of the solutions a bit later. We'll okay. <laughs> and by the way, I also have some numbers to share with our audience. So this is from the, this house from WTO. Data from WTO. Global digital service trade reached already about uh, 3.82 trillion US dollars in the year 2022. That is marking a 3.9% year on year increase in this quite challenging economic situation we are talking about. And that's accounting for about 53 to 54% of global service trade overall. So digitalization is really catching up when we talk about trade, just to add to some of your numbers Definitely. earlier. Let me go to you also, Sally, about your thoughts from the UNEP's perspective. Where is digitalization of the things that you are dealing with today? One of the things that I love about the world we live in today, Wei, is that it forces us to think beyond borders, not just geographical borders, but also across sectors and across industries and across domains. So in this day and age, you can no longer talk about trade, for example, without talking about digitalization, without talking about the environmental impact of things, without talking about the economic agenda and education and literacy and so on. And what this forces us to think about as well are the enablers. And Thomas talked about connectivity, so I'm going to talk about data. So imagine a scenario where, we don't have to imagine it, it happened a few uh, weeks ago when we had those terrible floods in India. And India is one of the biggest suppliers of rice in the world. So 
initially it's a, it's an environmental crisis, but it also has impacts on the global supply chain of rice. So many countries had to review how they're going to meet their needs to feed their local populations. So we have across the United Nations, we have 92 uh, SDGs, uh, SDG indicators, and we're already able to track up to 42% of them using data. Of course, that leaves another 58% and we're working on that. But it's important that we look at these data sets holistically. How does environment cross intersect with digital? What is the digital impact and what is the environmental impact? We always have to look at both sides of the coin. Where is Asia in terms of digitalization? Knowing that you are an expert in atmospheric science, please, Professor. Huh. So I'll give you an example, like, you know, Tianwei, when you at the beginning, you talked about like, you know, this topic has or this session has the all these buzzwords. So I was thinking of like, you know, the one thing that I work on is renewable energy, which kind of hits a lot of these green, digital and trade, these uh, buzzwords. And it's a great kind of success story, especially in India. And in India, what I have personally seen in the last like, you know, seven, eight years that we have grown from uh, like, you know, almost a very small player in renewables to today we are in the top five in whichever metric that you use in mostly in wind and solar. And this would not have been possible, not just installed capacity, but also like grid penetration of renewables if there was no like, you know, widespread digitalization. Now, when you run, uh, like, you know, relying on wind and solar, basically, we all know that these are intermittent. Like, you know, the wind blows hot and cold. Uh, the sun is shining, a cloud comes in, the sun is gone. So, obviously, to handle this intermittency, basically, if you are a grid operator, you have to somehow manage the supply with the demand. Recently, we have seen uh, among uh, whether it is a bilateral, multilateral or regional trade mechanism, they are trying to deal with data flows. They're trying to deal with rules of data flows and trying to set some examples. WTO has also been working a lot of research on that. So how do you see uh, what are some of the most promising areas we're looking at? And that could provide some impetus for our future to shine on the future solutions. Uh, Thomas. Think about their questions, there's like two sides to that. Solutions for not having enough and solutions for having too much, you know? So it's like, and I'll explain what I mean by that, you know? So, from, but because we, we kind of see these two sides of digital as well, of uh, digital uh, inequality and ability not, you know, not to be, con you know, the problems of when people are not connected, when this digital world is not at their hands. And another aspect which we spoke as well about when, as we progress with the digital, how, which are the risks this is uh, creating, you know, in terms of climate risks, as we discussed from e-waste to emissions, but also, of course, and you started to, uh, to talk here about, about uh, data, data governance, you know, we you know now we increasingly talk about risks of uh, artificial intelligence and others. And I think we kind of need solutions for both, you know, so because I think sometimes we focus to, on one or the other. We say, how do we bring digital to everyone? Or then we kind of get totally scared and say, no, 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 actually, it's also risky. We kind of need to reclaim, reclaim the cyberspace for humanity. We need to manage to manage this development. So I think for us, uh, exactly from ITU's perspective, we look at both sides. So of course, infrastructure development, we do that through you know, so many layers, from, of course, global regulatory layer. And uh, you know, we are the agency that manages, uh, manages spectrum world globally, as well as satellite orbits. And, just later this year, we'll have what we call World Radio Conference, where the world comes together to agree how that is managed. And the idea of that, of course, for the 
in terms of access of um, access to data, wireless plays a huge role. We just discussed how smartphones change their change their use everywhere in the world. To of course different uh, div different gamut of standards to our development work. And our development work will also focus from helping national frameworks in terms of regulatory frameworks that enable private sector investment flow because only government fund money would, would not help to then going down and, and making sure that the let's say demand side is there i think we have everything we need i mean for digitalization for reaching uh, well maybe not for net zero emissions but close to this we have everything so now it's the focus is on the implementation it's only about uh, supporting those local people i think we are going to the right direction anyways there are many challenges, there are new challenges even we don't know about, but we will figure it out. Mm. Uh, we are going to the right direction and it's, only, it's mainly about supporting the implementation of the existing technologies. Mm. If you would implement, well, solar energy, like energy from the sun or wind, this is the cheapest already today, implementing this. On farming, there are already so many solutions that can improve the productivity in the farming digital solutions, implementing those. And I guess Nelly can give really good examples how mm. she is working uh, so when I, when, when I was thinking about starting Tackle Africa, there's a question that kept coming up in my head, which was, why is rural Africa poor? Are we just born to suffer? Are we just born to just worry about food and health? And it took me a really long time to come down to digital tools, to come down to digital economy, because I was like, oh, well, if I teach these kids how to code and they're hungry, uh, what am I doing? Or if mm. they're sick and, and all that. And what, what gave me comfort and what really kind of like made it okay for me to just focus on this part is that just the power of it, just how technology is such a magnifier. We are seeing even how M-Pesa transformed everything. Before M-Pesa, we used to uh, put money on an envelope and send it. So if I'm in school, my mom needs to send me money, put money on an envelope, put it on a, on a matatu, which is like a bus, and get it all the way to school. Mm -hmm. Now we just get a, a text message. Mm -hmm. And so, and what was really particularly powerful is just how, when you are able to earn money online, let's say you're working for Google as a soft, you're working for WTO as a software engineer from Mogotio, mm -hmm. and you're able to earn that money, you get to decide what to do with your money, and you're able to spend on food, education, and so on. Mm -hmm. And so, it's very hard to worry about climate change when you're just trying to, to feed your kids that night or you're just trying to survive, just trying to treat your kids. So I thought about it and I realized like, hey, if I can get rid of poverty, if I can successfully fix poverty, create jobs for these people at a very, very cheap infrastructure because all you need to do is just educate these people, then we are bringing more people to the table. How do you see, you know, what the gap that we are talking about, especially the developing economies, uh, where are they in terms of designing our solutions. So I'll start with the Asian one. We started a project at UNEP uh, that was funded by the government of Japan, actually. And it's to do with plastic pollution in rivers in Asia. And it turns out that most projects, when they talk about plastic pollution, they look at oceans and seas and things like that. But actually, rivers are some of the biggest contributors. And so what uh, we implemented together with uh, a bunch of partners is um, a system that is AI enabled that detects plastics in rivers and classifies the type of plastic. So what exactly is it? Where is it? Where are the hotspots? And not only that, but it, it connects with different local communities like schools, for example, to organize campaigns to go and clean those hotspots and at the same time trace 
based on the type of plastic and the type of, uh, of material and so on and so forth, it traces it back across the supply chain to its origin so that we know what the source of pollution is and can start fixing the problem at the source. So this is a project that's been implemented quite successfully for a few rivers in Asia. We're hoping to take it to, to Africa and other continents next. The other Africa-based project has to do with, uh, with agriculture, actually. So one of the biggest problems in Egypt, where I'm originally from, is that uh, in the Nile Delta, most farming plots are very small and owned by relatively poor farmers who don't have access to a lot of technology and a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And this creates a problem for them because they can't market their crops. They don't often know what they need to know in terms of using pesticides and fertilizers and that kind of stuff. So what we implemented was a two-stage project. The first phase was a smart assistant for farmers. We implemented a, a chatbot, voice enabled, so you don't have to know how to read and write that gives them advice. And you can just snap a picture of a pest, for example, on a mm. plant, have it diagnosed in seconds and know how to treat it. You know what the market price is for your crop, when to irrigate, when to plant what, and so on and so forth. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of my team. Thanks for being with us. Bye for now.